J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 73 The Lamp of the Body Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36 No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed therefore that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. We learn from these words of the Lord Jesus the importance of making a good use of religious light and privileges. We are reminded of what men do when they light a candle. They do not put it in a hidden place under a basket. They place it on a candlestick, that it may be serviceable and useful by giving light. When the gospel of Christ is placed before a man's soul, it is as if God offered him a lighted candle. It is not sufficient to hear it and assent to it and admire it and acknowledge its truth. It must be received into the heart and obeyed in the life. Until this takes place, the gospel does him no more good than if he were a heathen who has never heard the gospel at all. A lighted candle is before him, but he's not turning it to account. The guilt of such conduct is very great. God's light neglected will be a heavy charge against many at the last day. But even when a man professes to value the light of the gospel, he must take care that he's not selfish in the use of it. He must endeavor to reflect the light on all around him. He must strive to make others acquainted with the truths which he finds good for himself. He must let his light so shine before men that they may see whose he is and whom he serves, and may be induced to follow his example and join the Lord's side. He must regard the light which he enjoys as a loan, for the use of which he is accountable. He must strive to hold his candle in such a way that many may see it, and as they see it, admire and believe. Let us take heed to ourselves that we do not neglect our light. The sin of many in this matter is far greater than they suppose. Thousands flatter themselves that their souls are not in a very bad state because they abstain from gross and glaring acts of wickedness and are decent and respectable in their outward lives. But are they neglecting the gospel when it is offered to them? Are they coolly sitting still year after year and taking no decided steps in the service of Christ? If this is so, then let them know that their guilt is very great in the sight of God. To have the light and yet not walk in the light is of itself a great sin. It is to treat the King of kings with contempt and indifference. Let us beware of selfishness in our religion, even after we have learned to value the light. We should labor to make all men see that we have found the pearl of great price, 
and that we want them to find it as well as ourselves. A man's religion may well be suspected when he is content to go to heaven alone. The true Christian will have a large heart. If he is a parent, then he will long for the salvation of his children. If he is a master, then he will desire to see his servants converted. If he is a landlord, then he will want his tenants to come with him into God's kingdom. This is healthy religion. The Christian who is satisfied to burn his candle alone is in a very weak and sickly state of soul. We learn, secondly, from these verses, the value of a single and undivided heart in religion. This is a lesson which our Lord illustrates from the office of the eye in the human body. He reminds us that when the eye is single or healthy, the action of the whole body is influenced by it. But when, on the contrary, the eye is evil or diseased, it affects the physical comfort and activity of the whole man. In an eastern country, where eye diseases are painfully common, the illustration is one which would be particularly striking. But when can it be truly said that a man's heart is single in religion? What are the marks of a single heart? The question is one of deep importance. Well would it be for the church and the world if single hearts were more common. The single heart is a heart which is not only changed, converted and renewed, but thoroughly, powerfully and habitually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is a heart which abhors all compromises, all lukewarmness and all halting between two opinions in religion. It sees one mighty object, the love of Christ dying for sinners. It has one mighty aim, to glorify God and do His will. It has one mighty desire to please God and be commended by Him. Compared with such objects, aims and desires, the single heart knows nothing worthy to be named. The praise and favor of man are nothing to him. The blame and disappropriation of man are trifles light as air to him. One thing I desire, one thing I do, one thing I live for, this is the language of the single heart. Psalm 27, 4, Luke chapter 10, verse 42, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Such were the hearts of Abraham and Moses and David and Paul and Luther and Latimer. They all had their weaknesses and infirmities. No doubt that they all erred in some things, but they all had this grand peculiarity. They were men of one thing. They had single hearts. They were unmistakably men of God. The blessings of a single heart in religion are almost incalculable. He who has a single heart does good by wholesale. He's like a lighthouse in the midst of a dark world. He reflects light on hundreds whom he knows nothing of. His whole body is full of light. His master is seen through every window of his conversation and conduct. His grace shines forth in every department of his behavior. His family, his servants, his relations, his neighbors, his friends, his enemies all see the bent of his character, and all are obliged to confess whether they like it or not, 
that his religion is a real and influential thing. And not least, the man of a single heart finds a rich reward in the inward experience of his own soul. He has food to eat which the world knows nothing of. He has a joy and peace in believing to which many indolent Christians never attain. His face is toward the sun, and so his heart is seldom cold. Let us pray and labor that we may have a single eye and a whole heart in our Christianity. If we have a religion, then let us have a thorough one. If we are Christians, then let us be decided. Inward peace and outward usefulness are at stake in this matter. Our eye must be single if our whole body is to be full of light. <laughs>